listening to the Rent Roll Radio Show with Sterling Chapman. Hey, Rent Roll Radio listeners, welcome to the show. Today we have a special guest joining us from out west, Jack Aduo. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Jack, could you tell our listeners a little bit more about you, about kind of where you came from and how you got into real estate? Yes. So I have been doing real estate for about over 10 years right now. I got started in Idaho. Me and my wife, we moved from California to Idaho, and we happen to be very lucky to have properties selling at, you know, very low price. You know, this is during the last financial crash. And, you know, we bought our first single family, and then there was a house we were very, we were very interested in. That house ended up, they did not accept our initial offer, but after we bought our house, it came back on market at a lower price. We decided to make an offer on it and we got it and it already had a tenant on it. And from day one, we were making basically $400. You know, the house was about 10 years old. So basically getting almost to a turnkey property. And we just saw the money, we were like just surprised how much we just spent, you know, that initial deposit and everything. And all of a sudden, every month, we have a good cash flow coming in. And from that point on, we just decided to basically buy the house every quarter while we live in Idaho until we reach 10 units. And then more than 10 units, we couldn't get any more loan. And then after that, we decided to start looking for multifamily because we found out that with multifamily or no longer, we were bounded by the same financing rules that we, we had with single family. For example, you know, nobody's going to care that you own 10 single families, right? The property is being judged by itself. And by multifamily, I'm referring to multifamily that qualifies for commercial loan, that is anything five units and above. And so basically, we'll move on to, you know, the apartment space about three, four years ago. How do you make that jump from single family houses to large multifamily apartment buildings? You know, there was about a a year or two that I must say kind of written off because there's that learning curve. The same way I got into single family, it was just looking for the opportunity, jumping into it and not knowing anybody or other ways to make deal work. So I remember first time, and I was looking multifamily, I was looking for something that I can just acquire by myself because I did not know about syndication or anything. Then I decided to approach a few of my, couple of my coworkers and family friends to see if they can join me on a deal. We pursued a number of deals. We never got lucky because, you know, just the four of us. And so we were very limited. I live in Salt Lake City, and not sure if you know Salt Lake City, but it's very pricey out here compared sure. to, you know, what you can find in Ohio or other markets. So part of that time, we only looked focusing on in Utah and Idaho. And so we were basically looking at the wrong market just because anything that came in the market was just overpriced. And then, of course, I found about Ohio and I started looking for deals in Ohio. I was not lucky to find anything in Ohio, but then went to other markets like Texas, Florida, Arizona, and other markets. So it was kind of like one of those learning curves and kind of meeting people, attending meetups and investment groups. There's a number, several of them out there that you can attend and learn. And that's where basically I learned about syndication and everything else. Awesome. So you bought, can you go into a little more detail for us on your first multifamily property? Yes. As a matter of fact, my first multifamily property was a, ended up being a flop. And the reason why it was a failure was because the seller decided to walk away. So it was a 79 unit property in Dallas, Texas. We got it for a good price. 
about two weeks before we closed the deal, the property, the killer caught fire, which means the seller sold it to us for a good price because they did not want to deal with replacing the chiller. And that's something we had factored into our underwriting. We knew we were going to basically replace it. So, so it was already into our, our capital raise. At that time, we raised the capital and everything. We were just waiting for the lender to come and do the final walkthrough before they approve the loan. Everything was done. But now that the chiller caught fire, the seller basically therefore had to replace it. And of course, as you know, a brand new chiller, all of a sudden the property value goes pretty high. We had a number of issues. Basically, the seller walk away from the deal, you know, they figured out they're better off walking away from the deal. They started coming up with crazy demands, you know, on the property because they were trying to get out of it. They ended up getting out of it. And yeah, so the deal fell apart. The good news for our passive investors, I think we were raising about $1.5 million on that, or no more than $2 million for sure. But all our passive investors got every single penny back. We refunded them all the money. But me and my other partner, there was two of us, it was our first deal. We had not done any deal at that time. It was our first deal. As the sponsor, we lost everything, you know, all the upfront costs. The seller refunded us the earnest money, which had gone hard already, but because they walked away, they refunded us the earnest money. But all other expenses, like, you know, lender fee, legal fees, appraisal, third-party reports, all those basically we lost. How big was that property? 79. 79 units. If you don't mind my asking, how much did you lose up front? I'm just curious how many of those other soft costs that we don't generally think about. Rounded up to about 50,000. 50,000? Yeah, rounded up, yes. Yeah, unfortunately. Likely, because it's the two of us, so we cannot get to split it. But you, get, you didn't get too discouraged from that because you've gone on to buy uh, quite a few more deals since then. Yes. It's, and that's the thing, you know, a, a lot of people would basically kind of be burned and walk away and say they never want to do the business again. But, you know, any business, you always come in knowing that there's a risk. There's always a risk involved. Especially to you as a sponsor, you know, there's a lot more risk, upfront risk. Especially now in places like Texas, whereby, you know, this extreme drive for hard money day one, right? I remember I was hearing about, you know, as part of this pandemic, some group lost half a million dollars of the hard money into a deal in Texas. So there's a lot of extreme effort. It's just part of the, part of the game. And anybody who's trying to get into this business, you got to know it's a long run. And as long as you know it's a marathon, just because... You get your nose bloodied on one deal, it's not the end of the world, right? Just got to know that, hey, look at everybody else around you. Some of those you are very close with, they're they're doing it. And just because you get your nose bloodied on one, just get up, dust it off and move on to the next one. Keep looking. So how do you go about this capital raising? How does one raise $2 million for an apartment building? All my syndication are 506B so far, and I'm looking for 506C down the line. I've been seriously thinking about it, but... 506B basically requires that, you know, you have a pre-existing relationship with the investors, right? And, mm-hmm. uh, of course, this other flexibility I give you, like, you know, you can have up to 35 sophisticated investors into the deal. But basically, I spend a good chunk of my time on a day-to-day basis building relationship with investors. You know, I'm very active on Facebook, but more or less on the direct one-on-one communication with people. So, if you go to my Facebook account, you might not see much posting from me, but you can be rest assured that, you know, every day I'm always talking to somebody via Facebook Messenger. I attend a lot of multifamily 
events, you know, out there. All the big names there try to attend every one of them, you know. Rod Cliff, Sam Rock Program, Michael Blanc. I've not attended any of Joe Fellas, but I know he has something in Denver every beginning of the year. It was uh, great. I, I went earlier this year. It was. Uh, oh, yeah, did you? Oh, nice. A, I know a number of my area. friends that went out there. I hear it was in the middle of nowhere. So I, th- I was speaking with Joe. Actually, I was speaking with Joe two, three weeks ago, and he said the next one he's having next year is going to bring to Denver. So that's going to be good. So it's going to be a lot closer. So I guess you got the same feedback like it was in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, we almost got stuck because there was a blizzard oh. the day we were leaving. And, and so all of the taxis oh, were booked up. And my wife and I almost couldn't get to the airport. We actually hitched a ride with another investor that I just happened to meet at the conference. Hopefully I'll attend the next one next year. I know a number of people that attend there. But basically back to your original question, I try to attend events where I can meet other you know, potential co-sponsors, industry players like the brokers, mortgage lenders, and all the, all those people, and of course, investors. And so it's, it's been one of those things, kind of like building your list of investors. I kind of do it the old way with the actual face-to-face conversation and everything. I try to do a lot of follow-up phone calls. Every time I meet somebody at one of those events, try to make sure that, you know, have another follow-up phone call introduction and make sure that we keep the communication, you know, such that when a deal comes, at least, you know, they're not wondering who's Jack, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Have you been doing these virtual events that I see everybody's switched over to? I can't sit in in front of a computer that long. (laughs) You know, it's funny. Yeah, it's the new norm. And I'm not a fan of it. I prefer more face-to-face, but it's like one of those, we don't have a choice. I have a meetup. I created a meetup in Boise, Idaho for multifamily. And me and my partner, Audi, there, we basically run it. And the last, except for this month, the month of June, we had that face-to-face. But the last three months, I believe, we had to have it virtual. And it's a little challenge, different. I don't prefer it, but we don't have much choice with the COVID-19, you know. (laughs) Yes. Can you tell us about your best deal? Oh, so all my deals have their own story. To me, I believe in the story on the deal. It's a matter of the deal itself and uh, what story it gives you on the deal. For example, I know my most recent acquisition is in um, Amarillo, Texas. And that deal in Amarillo, Texas, you know, we got lucky with that. The pricing just worked really, really well, the price per pound we got it for. On that deal, we did stress testing, you know, as part of this COVID-19. And we found out that we can basically bring the vacancy all the way to 45% and still keep the light on and pay all the bills and be positive. And so on that deal, we are not, you know, holding back, you know, because I know on other deals, we kind of have to hold back on CapEx and other stuff. But we felt like, hey, if we can go that low, I think, we can proceed with the CapEx. So that deal, with, for example, we're proceeding with the CapEx. I mean, luckily, we also just acquired it early this year. So we still have basically all the CapEx in place. And the goal is just at least continue the CapEx. I know, for example, my other deal in uh, Phoenix, that one, for example, we are, we've just approved rent increase next month. We're going to start more rent increase next month, effectively. I have a deal in, for example, in Dallas on that deal, we decided we're going to continue. We, we had a plan for um, implementing a media package or internet package at 89 per door. And we kind of delayed it, but just seeing how everything is, that property constantly stayed at 98% occupancy. 
we are always struggling finding room units to upgrade because every time in a unit become available somebody want to rent it as is and pay more money so we feel like hey we'll just move on and implement the media package so we are basically moving on so each of my property has their own story all of them are doing great I, I know some people that are struggling and i'm sure one of my deals sometime in the future i gotta be realistic there will always be some one of them might you know have an issue you know one way or the other but as of now i think i've been lucky i've been lucky that none of my deals is struggling or having any issues with the covid19 or any of that awesome so how many doors do you have today that, that you're the co-sponsor on or sponsor on so that I'm sponsored on is about 600, but if you include my passive investment, then it's about a thousand. Okay. Mm-hmm. And what is your criteria with selecting these markets and these assets? Uh, location to me is extremely important. You know, location matters a lot. And uh, of course there's always story and you always got to see what's the story with the property, right? Because then that's going to help you a lot in seeing the value and the opportunity. You know, with us, we're in the value-add market, right? So, which means when we're looking for a deal, it's more or less the value on that deal. And usually, trying to find out the story in the property is very important. But location matters a lot. I like to be in landlord-friendly states. So, I'm never going to invest in California or Washington or any of those places that states with the rules and regulations that are not friendly. Uh, definitely want want growth markets. Definitely, it has been a market that's growing. Of course, it's a little bit. I'll give you an example. For example, Ohio, as a state, is a declining state. But you go to Columbus, is growing, right? So sometimes you got to look beyond just you know the the state. The market itself has to be growing. I like markets that are not too dependent on one industry or one employer. For example, I would not invest in Colleen, Texas, because it's over dependent on the military, right? It just could drive the entire economy. So a place whereby, for example, one industry or one employer drive more than 30% of the economy, I try to stay away from that. But, you know, this is just, this is just rural time, and here's the reason why. I've always not been crazy about Las Vegas. But hey, because of COVID-19, there might be some things, and this is just my thinking, there might be some things that are going to sell pennies on the dollar. So it might work taking the risk, investing in that market just at this time because there's opportunities to grab there. How ironic that you're gambling in Vegas. (laughs) (laughs) I know, right? It's the name of the game. Yeah, kind of come in and, you know, make a quick buck and, and get out of it. So we'll see how it goes. But so while I have my criteria on my bread and butter location, I'm always open-minded to another location that might not meet that. For example, you know, I'm a strong believer in the local median household income need to be really, really strong, right? In my opinion, I prefer solidly 40,000 median household income within the one-mile radius. Mm-hmm and above right but if you look at all the major metros you know phoenix is one of the is the fastest major metro in the entire country right it's been for a while and i'm seeing top 20 major metros in the country right if you just look at it from that angle point of view 
And of course, it always depends on what industry report you're looking at. But Phoenix is always known to be one of the top. And I know my property in Phoenix, for example, was not in a super great location, but it is the fastest growing sub-market in the Phoenix market. So in other words, when they say Phoenix is the fastest growing major market in the entire country, this sub-market is the reason why. So, I mean, as a matter of fact, we were looking at Costa and the quarter that we were closing the deal last year, the quarter that we were closing the deal, they were projecting 9% population increase. I mean, on that sub-market. I mean, so if you see that, even if the median household income is not 40, it's worth taking a second look because you're like, wait a minute, this place is growing like no tomorrow, right? Everybody's moving here in droves. So, hey, might be opportunity to go cash in on a deal in here. So it's always good to have those rule of thumb, but opportunities sometimes come in places that does not meet every checkbook, right? And you just got to be open to jump on it if there's an opportunity. Absolutely. Yes. What advice do you have for somebody? Well, first of all, before you answer that, are you still investing like locally in Idaho or Salt Lake City? Are you still yes. buying small single single family houses there? If given opportunity, yes, I would. But good luck finding them, right? Right. Because, <laughs> you know, with me, I'm going to buy as an investor. I'm not buying it. So the numbers has to work. So a single family in Boise, would now go for say two fifty a dollar, or that same single family in Dallas is might say for two hundred k a dollar. So, I mean, if somebody just looking for single family, there's other great markets that you can also get deals on. But I'm very bullish on Boise, as probably you know, Idaho is like over the last three four years has been from a state point of view the fastest growing state according to federal government, not according to any of the reports out there, but. All my friends in Coeur d'Alene will tell you that's because everybody from California <laughs> is moving to Coeur d'Alene. Yes, yes. Uh, you know, that's very true. It's all over the place. You know, it's funny. One time last year, there was a mayor that was running in one of the cities in Idaho, and this slogan was like, keep the Californians out. <laughs> I thought that was funny. <laughs> I don't think he got elected, but that was funny. Yeah, definitely. What, what's funny is that you go to every state there's a California moving to that state. I mean, the same problem. In, I think Boise is, is just way out there, you know, just way out there. But, you know, you can be Utah in the same scenario, right? There's a lot of California moving to Utah. And then there's also California moving to Texas. I mean, you look at deals in Texas, there's always somebody from California who's willing to pay a little extra money than you, you know. But, which is funny, and yet the entire state is still moving, you know. So we're only seeing one side of the story. I remember I attended this conference, you know, early this year in LA, and it was mostly kind of like local developers and investors based in California that were presenting and attending that. And it was the first time I saw a viewpoint, you know, because whenever you're in Texas or Florida or those other states, you hear people bashing California, how it's not landlord friendly, why would you ever want to invest in California? And yet here I went to California and they're giving a case for California. And it's not like they're trying to convince people that are outside California. They were were talking to other Californians and they have a good case. In my opinion, the state is growing. As long as the weather stays nice, California will forever grow, right? It's not going to go down anytime soon. The lowest be, you know, property value will always still increase. 
I just wish they had some kind of landlord-friendly, you know, regulation. Sure. So what advice do you have for anybody who's looking to make that transition from single-family house investing to the large multifamily? Yes, a lot of great programs out there that you can join for free with very limited training. I know, for example, Rod Cliff has a really great program. Sam Rock has a great program. Michael Blanc has a great program. So there's a lot of great programs out there. You can go and get your feet wet and learn from them, right? And see what, how they do it. Of course, some of them are cheaper than the others. Some of them are willing to give you a lot of stuff for free. Thankfully, we live with the edge of internet. A lot of this you can also get online. In my opinion, the way I did it, which is basically the first thing is get online and start researching every single thing about multifamily. And you'd be surprised how much you can get for free out there. The next thing is join local meetup. Find local multifamily meetup. They've been sprunging all over the country. They're everywhere, right? Every major city has a meetup. Go there and start interacting with others. Because it kind of keep you on toes, on pace, but also it helps you connect with other people that are also looking for deals, especially in your market. You can share ideas, share thoughts, give you access to like local brokers. Because if you're looking multifamily, it's a wild, wild west with the finding deals. You know, every broker has their short list of investors that they reach out to first and you always want to get on the broker broker's list. It's not like MLS, right? You know, where you can just go to Salt Lake City and find a list of all the single families in Salt Lake City. If you're looking for multifamily in Salt Lake City, for example, you love to reach out to the brokers directly. And it's not like their names are also very obvious. Like you can find who are the local multifamily brokers in Salt Lake City. But you can get started. Usually a lot of those big names like Marcus Emilichap, Cushman Wakefield, ARA Newmark, you know, CBRE. You just go to their like CBRE.com site, for example, Phoenix. Find who is their broken Phoenix. Give them a call, introduce yourself, and just start building relationships with the brokers. Because there are two things you're going to need, or three things, right? One is a deal flow of leads, and that's coming from the brokers, right? And second thing is potential investors. One is you meeting people directly and talking with them so that they can become your investors. But also the thing is also meeting other co-sponsors. So, for example, you find a deal, and then you meet me and we have a strong relationship. And then you find a deal. I can come join you in that deal and bring my investors into that deal. So it's your first time. It's going to be a struggle raising capital, especially if you're trying to raise a huge capital. But by the fact that you connect with somebody who's more experienced, who's done more deals, it helps you be able to raise funds for that deal. So if I were to summarize two things do today, one is find what local multifamily meetups are in your area and start attending them, all of them. Attend every single one of them if you can. Two, start researching online. There's a lot of free tools out there. Analyzer, for example, you need a spreadsheet for analyzing the deals. I know, for example, Michael Blanc has a good tool that he sells. I think it's like, what, about $100, give or take. He sells that you can buy and use that to start analyzing the deals. And third, reaching out to the brokers because it takes time to find out who all the brokers in the market you're looking for deals at and you start connecting with them, making sure that they know you and their view on their distribution list such that when a deals come, they can notify you. Next, we have our radio round just so you, our listeners can get to know you a little bit better. 
what's your favorite book? So I have several favorite books. But if I were to say one thing, the, my most favorite is Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And that's because I just believe it's a matter of setting the mindset, right? While we're talking multifamily, at the end of the day, it's still a business, right? And you get out that kind of business mindset, right, to succeed in this. And I think that book is very important, especially for somebody who's trying to get in the business. Absolutely. I, I read that book uh, years before I ever even thought to invest in real estate, used it and attributed a lot of my success in my corporate career to that. So I've always mm-hmm. been a huge Napoleon Hill fan. Yes. What's your favorite quote? So my favorite quote, I would say Warren Buffet pretty much is very popular. Basically, it's, it says the fact that be greedy when people are fearful and be fearful when people are greedy. Because I think at this time of the market, this time of where we are with the COVID-19, I think that really applies a lot right now. I'm yes. very bullish right now. I'm hunting for deals right now. And that's because I believe one thing. Anybody who's selling right now is a motivated seller. Because if they don't have to sell, they're going to put on hold. So I'm looking for that motivated seller. Because when you find a motivated seller, they're willing to work with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. And what's your favorite thing to do when you're not working? Oh, basically spend time with the family. You know, I have three kids and so they're definitely keeping me very, very busy. I love to go on a road trip as many times as I can. I'm a big fan of that. And so if I can, what I would do is me and my wife, we'll get on a road trip and I'll bring my laptop and I'm working, just driving and everybody enjoying the trips. My kids love the road trips and it's always just spending time with the family. Awesome. So where yes. can our listeners find out more about you? Yes. So I have my website, kindubayproperties.com. That's K-E-N-D as in dog, U-B as in boy, A-Y, kindubayproperties.com. They can also, I don't mind people calling me, directly me on my cell phone, 818-635-4289. They can also find me on Facebook. Just search for Jack Adu on Facebook. You can find me there. And yeah, so easily, I'm easily accessible to anybody who has any question. When you go to my website, there's an option to schedule for an appointment with me. If you want to just talk to introduce yourself, or learn about some of the projects I've done or just general conversation, there's an option there to set up an appointment with me or just shoot me a text. Awesome. Well, Jack, thank you so much for joining us today. I learned a ton. I know our listeners are going to love the interview as well. And we uh, definitely look forward to following the rest of your, your investing career. Have a good one, man. You too. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to the Rent Roll Radio Show brought to you by Crestworth Capital. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please hit the subscribe button and leave us a rating and review. You can also visit us at CrestworthCapital.com or RentRollRadio.com or follow us on Facebook at RentRollRadio or at CrestworthCapital. If you would like to reach us, feel free to shoot us an email at info at RentRollRadio.com or sterling at CrestworthCapital.com. We hope you come back next week to join us on some more of our journey. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.